Good evening, everyone. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming. Um, for the new faces in the room, my name is Coco, and I'm the founder and CEO of Zerk. We are a luxury fashion rental company. We aim to make renting as aspiring as buying new, and we put curation and philanthropy at the heart of everything we do. I'm actually wearing a suit that is raising money um, for Breast Cancer Awareness Month through our partner, The Pink Robin. Sustainability and conservation are fundamental pillar of our business, but also of the 22. And that's why we're really excited to be here tonight and to host a panel on whether circularity is the future of fashion conservation. For the occasion, we're very honored to be joined um, by Bay Garnett and Tianwei Zhang. I think they don't need an introduction. I'll still go ahead. So Bay is a stylist um, that's been really championing secondhand from very, very early stage. And for a very long time, you were I think that you were the pioneer, you were the first one in the in the space, just hammering on how important it is to thrift and go towards vintage pieces. Um, and Tianwei is the London China market editor at um, Women's Wear Daily, but also we're particularly excited to have him here tonight because he's an avid collector of Dries Van Noten amongst other brands. So to put the topic into perspective, let's all remember that Kim Kardashian, Marilyn Monroe red carpet moment at the Met Gala. Um, she wore the iconic dress for Marilyn Monroe, the one um, she was wearing when she sung Happy Birthday to the American president. That resulted in a big controversy. Without getting too much into it, Bay um, and Tianwei, what are your thoughts on the event? And do you think iconic pieces should be worn? Be happy to add the story? Or do you think they should just be preserved? I think that clothes are for wearing um, as well as being preserved, but I think you can probably do both. I think what it does do as an individual is put you up for scrutiny. Um, if you wear something that iconic, then you are by choice putting yourself in a space where you're going to be compared to the person who wore it. And no one in my mind look, looks more kind of amazing and magical and kind of luminous and tragic, you know, than Marilyn Monroe um, singing happy birthday to JFK. Really, really, um, really, she died, I think, just a few weeks after, which makes it extra kind of poignant and um, beautiful in a way. So, so intellectually, yes, I think so completely that clothes should be worn and I really advocate for that. I think that's what they're there for and that's what they should, I've, I'm all for, that's why I love thrift store clothes. I'm not precious about clothes um, at all. Um, I never have been and never want to be. So yes, I do. I think that, and I think it's that kind of discourse is interesting as well. Personally, Kim Kardashian, you know, what it did was um, it made you really think about, you know, it was that comparison between Monroe and what she stood for at that time and then Kim Kardashian and what she represented for this time. And that's what it kind of chucked up. It was less about the dress and more about the kind of iconography culturally within the dress. And that's what I found interesting. And, you know, 
I think it made people kind of think, hmm, um, uh, about Kim Kardashian wearing the dress because I think that she let her, I think it was, uh, yeah, I mean, she put herself out there and I think that is she just, uh, she just, it wasn't Marilyn Monroe. And I think that's something that's, you know, I mean, um, I personally would never have chosen to wear that dress, but I'm not Kim Kardashian. So to me, it's more of a kind of, it's a personal, it's a choice. Wearing a dress like that, you are taking something on and you are choosing to take something on. And so I haven't really answered your question because I've just made it really personal. But I do think that clothes should be reworn and reused and preserved. And I think you can do both of them. Thank you. <coughs> Sorry. Um, I, I think Kim Kardashian, in a way, whether you liked her or not, she continued the legacy and brought that dress back to the conversation that people are having. And if you look from a longer time frame, maybe 100 years from now, people will be like, this dress is important because Marilyn Monroe and Kim Kardashian wore it. You know, as I think it gives a, a, a new chance for this dress to be seen by the younger generation. And to that, I think actually, you know, Kim Kardashian, she did, did have some positive contribution to the dress as an iconic piece. And of course, you know, the rippings at the back and everything, it was damaging to the dress. But at the same time, it is what it added, you know, to the storytelling of the dress, that this is the mark that Kim Kardashian left on this dress and it will forever be there, whether you hate it or like it. And it will only increase the value of this dress, you know, throughout from the from the historic point of view. And and I do believe that you sh clothes are made to be worn. If you're not wearing them, treat them like a historic piece, then it's costume, you know, it's not clothes. Even you go into shrifting, you can see, you know, the marks that people have left on this clothes and it is what makes them unique. Sometimes a flaw can be its unique character as well. That's how I see it. Yeah. I, I sorry, just go because I think that's a really good point. Culturally, you know, exactly, well, retrospectively, she will have worn that dress. And I think you need time to assess what something means sometimes. And so you're right, looking back, that it would be that Kim Kardashian wore that dress. I just think that Monroe did it in such a way. The real difference for me was that Monroe did it kind of, you know, behind her She just did it in such a different way where Kim Kardashian, it's like, Ugh. You know, it was just so not what that dress was when it was first worn. It was it was something completely different. Monroe wore that dress and sang Happy Birthday, but she wasn't wearing the dress to have her. It was just done in such a different way. And so the dress to me just looked so much more beautiful, um, just being worn as a beautiful dress rather than a statement. I love this. I'm actually going to come back on um, what you both kind of just said, that clothes are made to be worn otherwise they're costume. Um, and I'd love to have your point of view as collectors. So first of all, what are some of the brands you collect or pieces? Um, and given that at Cirque we love to share stories, can you please tell us about one very special piece and how did you source it? Um, I suppose my special piece would be um, um, it's gone on to have quite a kind of story of its own. I was in New York, probably 99, and I went in, it was a Saturday morning, I had an office job, but I went into this Bristol, I think it was Council Research, on the Upper East Side, and there was a rail, and I saw this print, this banana print, I thought, oh my God, that's so good, I've got to get it, and I looked at the label, it was like an old Parisian label from the 1970s. Anyway, I got it, and it's kind of like a leotardy 
kind of prop. Anyway, to cut a long story short, about three years later, I became an editor at Vogue, British Vogue, and my first story was um, my charity shop closed with Kate Moss, um, the Yug and Teller shops, and I used my banana print top in it. So it's just charity shop clothes. And then um, Phoebe Philo called me up and said, Look, can I borrow that top? And so she, she copied the top, or she used the top in the runway uh, for the premiere. She did like high jeans and banana print top. And so it's just been, and then that, that banana, and then top shop. So I remember sitting on the tube once. I did a woven belt with it as well, 70s woven belt. And I remember sitting on the tube, and there was someone in front of me, like, a year after that shoot had come out and there was someone standing in front of me and they were wearing the woven belt and the banana top and I was like, oh my God. It was like Topshop and it like trickled down from like, <laughs> I was like, oh, because, you know, meanwhile I'm skids. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, this is so wrong. <laughs> what? But I suppose, but looking back, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it went on to have this kind of, I've still got it and I'm like, kind of like, oh, there you are, because it's just had this kind of life, you know. But the picture of Kate Moss wearing it, she does look amazing. It was a long, it was like 20 years ago, the shoot. Um, but it, it went on to have this kind of high fashion life. So it's kind of, I do love that top because it's, um, it was just a good, it was a fun time. It's, uh, it reminds me, you know, the Oscar de la Ranta cerulean belt movement in Devil West Prada. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, my story was more recent and more like a fam fangirling moment. So I was in Belgium covering this, like a fashion summit back in 2018. And then I went to this lunch that they were hosting and Ralph Simmons was there. And then he was wearing this leather coat with like eight cherries, you know. And then it stuck with me. And then I was like, I need to get this coat. And then at that time it was selling for 7,000 euro and ma no, 7,000 pound and matches. But it was on my... Uh, wait, it's on my you know like wish list for so long. It wasn't until I think last year, it's finally eighty percent off. <laughs> <laughs> I waited so patiently. I check every two weeks, and then it's finally down for almost around like affordable range. <laughs> and then and then I was and then I realized that if I ship it to Hong Kong, I don't pay VAT. So so I didn't even ask my friend. I was just telling me, what's your address? I'm going to send the code to you, and they're going to send it back to me. And then my friend also didn't ask me any question. He, he knew exactly what I was going through. So I sent that code from London to Hong Kong, and then my friend sent as a private birthday gift five pounds on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the costume declaration bit. So now I have that code, and I think it's, it's basically like 85% off from the original price. And then I wore that coat again to the Freeze preview, Freeze Master preview last year, and then I bumped into Ralph. <laughs> and then it was such a like a full circle moment. I was like, and then I was fangirling, and then my boyfriend was like, do you want me to go like to see if he want to say hi to you? <laughs> so basically my boyfriend grabbed me in that coat and then go to him and then he shook my hand. So I feel like, you know, this is what sometimes collecting clothes meant, because sometimes it's really like, Fulfilling your lifelong dream sometimes. Yeah. I'd love to see the clothes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Me too. Um, speaking about rewearing pieces, looking at both of your collection, are there any pieces that you never wear? And what are some of the steps that you take towards conserving those pieces? <coughs> I mean, personally, I'm not, I'm not a collector in any proper way. Um, I don't have a, 
I don't have an archive. I don't. I mean, it's an archive that I have, but it, it's not worth anything. Um, and so I'm pretty relaxed. And the clothes that I don't wear don't fit me anymore. <laughs> and that's basically the only reason, because, you know. Um, and so I'm, I'm not a very exciting answer. My clothes are, you know, they're in my cupboards and I try and, you know, I try. I love them, but they're, they're just mine. They're not for, you know, or for my daughter, but they're not at all valuable, really. Um, when I was, like, you know, like, climbing up the, the property ladder, the, the only decision that, you know, alter my purchase decision was if they come with a storage space that's big enough as my walk-in closet. <laughs> so that's sort of what happened. It's it's not it's not very big. It's only 1.4, 1.5 meter, but I managed to squish in like three rails plus a building wardrobe. So basically, I cannot physically walk in. I have to, <laughs> like you know, plug everything out. And then it was uh, it was uh, it was uh, it was quite a challenge because you know I have lots of coats. Everything is the giant size, so you have to sort of you know like remove the friction to put it out. And then two of my rail broken in between so i have to change to a heavy duty one that i order like especially for the kind of like warehouse space so now the tubes are this thick <laughs> it's like water pipes basically <laughs> it's it's it, it's uh, you know the length i went to 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 just like have space to put this stuff because i don't want my my bedroom to have wardrobe because i feel like it's not very ad you know it's not very magazine <laughs> you don't see wardrobe in a bedroom in a in a like an interior <laughs> magazine so that's the sacrifice I made. And because of the arrangement, I only got like three or four chances a year to change my clothes, like, you know, like seasonally. So whatever it's on my like open air wardrobe on my study, it's what I'm going to wear. Unless it's a special event, then I'm going to open the storage and put it out. So actually, I would say 90% of the clothes, I rarely wear them, probably once a year, sometimes not even. But because of that, of course, you know, to preserve them, I will make sure the room is very dry and then my cats are not inside. <laughs> and then I put this kind of, I don't know what to call them, it's like scented wax from a Santa Maria novella. And I put a few of them in. I think they're gifts from a like Kuchosanda show back in the day. So I put them in the end so it has some aroma to keep the, the, the clothes less smelly. It doesn't have that kind of old, old, old lady smell because sometimes, you know, when you put it for too long, it will have that kind of smell automatically. So that's what I did, yeah. Um, I have to say, though, I have to disagree because you have amazing pieces oh in your archive collection. Um, some oh wait, they're not valuable. I do have pieces that I love. They're amazing. Stores over the years, or like, you know, like old Louis Vuittons. I worked Louis Vuitton for a long time, so a lot of Louis Vuitton and a lot of um, oh, I've got yeah, I have got good stuff, but it's not like maybe I just don't look after it properly. Maybe it's just like looks like it's I don't know. It's just in my room. So we've been so lucky to welcome some of base pieces on set, some of which are on the rack. I mean, I see vintage Dolce Gabbana, the leopard print blazer. I see, I mean, Louis Vuitton, this T-shirt, this really cool, cool stuff. So I have to, I had to, I'm sorry. Um, sorry, I was being a bit, no. no, I have got good stuff. <laughs> 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 They're not amazing. It's not like, it's just not like. Just had to make the truth come out. <laughs> um, but speaking of which, how, you know, we're so, so grateful to have your pieces. We did an amazing collection with Bayware. 
Um, some of the pieces comes from your personal closet, some of which were upcycled. We'll be sharing a bit more about this later on. Um, but how did you pick those pieces? And, and how does it feel for you to put them back into circulation? Yeah, I mean, all my things come just, a lot of things from charity shop, but then occasionally I will splurge on like an expensive thing. And I'm not really a middle market kind of girl, like a woman, I should say. I don't really do the kind of Zara. Um, so I either do Thrift or I do Prada or, you know, Marc Jacobs or something like that. So um, the pieces, so yeah, so like that Dolce uh, corduroy jacket I got years ago, I was actually pregnant with my daughter and I was at Condé Nast and I was walking down Bond Street and I was so exhausted. I was like four months pregnant. And I was literally like, I want a cord leopard jacket. It's all I want in the world. And I literally, it was the weirdest thing. It was like closed karma. Literally, I took a left in the Dolce & Gabbana there was a leopard print corduroy jacket and I just was like, oh my God, I've just got to buy it. It was insane. But I did buy it and I do, I've had it for, yeah, like 15 years. Um, and so, yeah, and then I've got this great Marc Jacobs jacket. So how do I find things? I mean, like, I just, I mean, probably like most of you guys, you know, you don't go to shop, you know, you fall in love with something probably, right? And then you just really want it. At least that's what happens to me. I don't, I don't think I go out to shop unless I'm going thrifting. And that seems okay. Um, but yeah, that's what I do. I fall in love with it. Or I get, or I see a movie. Or I, you know, I remember seeing this like Deneuve and it was black patent leather jacket. And I was like, I want a black patent jacket. And I found one at Saint Laurent. And I want to fit like Deneuve in her black patent leather jacket with a big tie. And so I get inspired by movies as well, like the mohair sweater from Paris, Texas. Or So I've always been inspired by kind of things, I guess, outside of fashion. And then I try and find them. And that's why the market and thrifting is so good because it's your own sort of distorted clothes from your own reference point of clothes. And it's cheaper. I like it. I like thrifting as well. And uh, <coughs> before COVID, you know, it's, it's, it's such a cliche thing. I never went into TK Maxx because I always thought it's something for, you know, like like very cheap stuff for people like who goes to Primark and all that. And then one day I saw on the Instagram a friend is like, oh, you know, the Ralph Calvin Klein collection showed up at a TK Maxx in a, in a, in Stratford. So because of that news, I went into a TK Maxx store on the, I think it's Tottenham Court Road, and then I discovered half of the collection was dumped on TK Maxx. It's like the runway pieces that Ralph did for Calvin Klein for like three, four seasons. So, and then I think because he was fired, and then the CEO said we will liquidate everything and move on to a new direction. And then what I didn't know is that actually they're dumping everything on the on the TK Maxx shop floor. So I went to, I think for three months, I went to every TK Maxx every two days. <laughs> and then I managed to rescue like 70 pieces from his collection. So I have the, you know, the the coat with the, the plastic covering. And then I have, you know, the scuba diving top. I had the very naked sheer sweater with only the sleeves and everything. And then I felt like I'm doing my job as a conservatist because I know if they come into my wardrobe, I will be able to provide better care and then recognize their value better than some random woman say, oh, this will look good for my kid kind of situation. <laughs> so, yeah. That's actually, yeah, and you're probably on the money. Yeah. Probably worth a fortune in 10 years. You know, probably really smart, right? No one knows they're from TK. I mean, no one right. will know. No one remember that. They'll just be Raph at yeah. Calvin Klein. Yeah. 
that's that's what I'm joking, saying that if I run into some serious financial trouble, I just sell it off and probably can get me out of any <laughs> financial trouble. Very smart. I mean, if TK Maxx has a surge in sales tomorrow, we'll know why. <laughs> 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 we'll be able to retrace it. <laughs> um, speaking about thrifting and vintage, what do you think, how do you find pleasure doing it? Is it in the treasure hunt? Is it into you know, finding that piece? Is it owning that piece? What is the pleasure for you? I mean, my pleasure has changed over the years. When when I was working on this fanzine called Cheap Day magazine in New York, and I was really obsessed with thrifting. I had an office job at every lunch. I had a like bin liner, and I'd go to like all the Salvation Armies. And on Saturday, I would go to Salvation Army in Queens and the Bronx, and kind of like it was just and I found incredible things, like incredible. For me, then it was like this very obsessive, quite very creative outlet. I would say where I was thinking about punk and new wave and. You know, and I used a lot of that stuff in fashion shoots and like the banana thing with Kate Moss. And then over the years, I've always kind of put secondhand in fashion shoots. And so for me, it was a real way of um, creating stories in my head that then went on to I used, um, you know, my work. Um, now it's changed. Now I want less. But I, I love the hunt and I love talking to people. And I love I know a lot of the market holders. I know people who work in the charity shops I go to. And I love the anonymity, you know, no one, it, there's no, like, it's not got up. I love people not coming over to me and going, can I help you? I, I just, I can't, I don't like all of that. I love, like, the music, and I, I just, all, I feel much more comfortable in a charity shop, um, to be honest, and I, it's just what, it's just what I've always enjoyed, and I um, can't remember your question. <laughs> Have I answered <laughs> it? Sorry. <laughs> I'm just like, what am I saying? <laughs> But it's also about the pleasure of finding. It's I think it at the heart, it's always and with any shopping, it's about the pleasure of finding something where you go, oh, that's so good. I love that. Quite rare, and I think it gets rarer as the older you get. You get older and you become more discerning and you want less stuff, and so it's it's becomes more of a not a challenge exactly, but I think it's good to be more discerning, and more kind of careful about what you buy in any sense. So yeah, it, the that kind of like real creative buzzy thing of reference points and pop and punk and I don't do that anymore. I can appreciate it, but I'm not part of that so much. But now it's just like, God, that's so good. You know, and most of the time I can appreciate it and not buy it, but then of course sometimes <laughs> I buy it. Yeah, I think I think for me I personally love, you know, go scouting during the end of the end of the season sales at all department stores and also TK Maxx because I like the excitement. It's like <coughs> it's like you're art broker and then you go into a junk show and then you discover an unheard of Picasso. You know, it's that feeling, you know, sometimes because the, the store stuff doesn't necessarily put a designer piece at a designer rack. And then sometimes you just find, oh, Balenciaga leather jacket for two nine nine. It's like, OK, this is a bargain. Or you go to Selfridges. Sometimes there are returns and stuff. And then like a 10K calm show piece will be like 500. And you will have this kind of impulsive, you know, your heart heartbeat will raise because you feel like, this is such a like a once in a lifetime opportunity. I should really seize it. You know, you will never touch that thing after you buy it. <laughs> but you know, the kind of impulsive, impulsive like that kind of like rush of adrenaline is what I'm looking after sometimes. You know, I know I don't need it, but since it's so cheap, why not? Yeah, <laughs> I think lots of people can resonate with that kind of feeling. Yeah, it's a hobby. It's a bad hobby. It's yeah. <laughs> 
I think it's actually good for the soul. You know, you, you get to wear it, you get to enjoy it. Um, I suppose the last thing I'd love to touch upon regarding vintage is how do you think the fashion industry has moved, um, you know, has moved its approach? I know by the first time we met, you know, you were telling me how hard it was to even get a date in for Fashion Week to get the Oxfam show on. Um, things have changed. I think um, people are consuming differently. The fashion world is opening their eyes. But I'm really curious to hear both of your point of view on how do you think that change is happening? I mean, yeah, I mean, as I say, when I did my, 20 years ago, and I did my shoot with Kate Moss, and I remember I'd never done a real fashion shoot before, and I said to my editor, Alex Shulman, who was the editor at the time, I said, she said, well, you can do a fashion shoot, but, you know, and I said, well, can I use my second-hand clothes? Can I use my thrift clothes? Because I literally didn't know how to call in clothes. I'd never done a fashion shoot before. So I was like, can I do it? And she was like, you know, I'm working on the music issue with Kate Moss as David Bowie, and so I think that would really work. And then I remember I had my thrift store closed in the office at Vogue and she called me up and she was like, there are no call-ins. We haven't used any advertisers. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know how. Like, what do I do? And like, she was like, you're calling your assistant. I was like, oh, can you call in some Chanel trousers or something? And, and, and so, you know, so it was really like, it was, it was no, that was the first time that Vogue had ever done a charity shop shoot. But since then, and then I started working with Vestia Collective and I remember them coming over about 11 years ago to the UK and no one, everyone was like, what, a resale site? This sounds so weird, really? I mean, it was, it was a very new thing. And, um, and then when I was, wor I work with Oxfam, I'm their senior fashion advisor. So I do their campaigns in September with a celebrity and then I do their fashion fighting poverty fashion shows. And we did the first one in 2016 and, you know, it wasn't on schedule and on fashion week and really hard to get anyone to do it. Really friends did it. And so, and now that's really, really changed as well. We all know how much it's just changed radically. And so, um, you know, the Oxfam show will hopefully be on schedule. It got canceled because of the queen. It was meant to happen in September, but she died. And so we're doing it in February. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it's just huge. I mean, vintage, whatever. I mean, I don't even have to tell you guys. Everyone's aware of how big it is. So in the last, it's changed. I mean, it's probably, it feels more kind of, it feels as big as the new, new, new clothes market. Um, so it's, it's been quite an eye-opener, but it's really gathered pace in the last, I would say, kind of three years. Um, it's like, it's, it's normal. It's normal. It's not at all on the fringe of things, which it was for quite a long time. Yeah, I agree with you. Even, you know, you go to fashion where you see lots of celebrities and even like fashion influencers that begin to invest in vintage stuff because they're so sick of wearing the same sample to the same fashion show because sometimes people influence from a different market, they would happen to wear the same sample. And for a big brand like if you go to a, like a Dior show or a Valentino show, it's kind of embarrassing. So I think more influence, especially the big ones, they're diving into the archive, they're collecting stuff and then building their own fashion language. And <coughs> what Vintage does is that it shows your knowledge and depth in the house. And sometimes, you know, the brand appreciate it as well. Because I think someone actually wore like a vintage Valentino sh piece to the show, uh, to the show, and everybody was in Katusha in the PP pink, and then one person was wearing something different. Of course, all of a sudden you stand out. So I think you know, I think it's a very interesting new phenomenon. You know, the 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 resale market and the vintage market definitely has you know influenced the high fashion world. And every all the brands are doing resale on their own, and circularity and sustainability become a very key component to entice in the customer with the brand and everything is moving towards that direction. I think it's a very good movement. I mean, 
I will also say something else, which is that I work with Oxfam, and I know, as we all do, we don't have to work for an organisation, but, you know, that um, buying new clothes is really, really terrible. Like, buying fast fashion is, um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's basically 30 million items every week go to landfill, and it's a bigger polluter than aviation and shipping combined. It's like the second biggest pollution pollutant in the world um, that exists, probably. I don't know what it's after, but um, so I think that it's kind of necessity, and I think that people are much more um, aware of the fact that we're fucked, basically. If you know, sorry, but um, and if we're going to be more fucked, we don't. We have to. We have to shop in a different way now. Um, in, in turn, way you report across the world. Do you think China and the UK have a different perspective on sustainability and conservation? Well, from my observation, I think the resale market in China are more in tune and more like embedded with the, the digital system because you do see lots of like authentication, secondhand centers setting up like accounts on Chinese TikTok, and then they become like you know huge influencers because of the millions of of like followers because they do this kind of video to tell you how to authenticate an item and also to tell you what are the resale what the values are on the resale market XYZ, and then it all of a sudden. It becomes such a thing that everyone who shops designer fashion are into this thing, and I think it has a it actually impact the luxury business. Like for some brands, they would just tell you that this brand, you know, the bag doesn't do well on the secondhand market, and as a result, it would directly actually impact the business of the brand. But I think in terms of clothing, it's very limited to Chanel jackets. Like it's the the one thing that has a real value in the market. Everything else probably is the same here, no, or in Paris. Yeah. In resale market, yeah. And of course, you have like those couture gowns, but I don't think because it's a very specific sizes and all. So there's not that much development here. And also, there are some platforms in in China, but it's mostly on accessories or very affordable entry level or mass market brands. I think in terms of like a designer wardrobe, you know, like sharing business model. I think Europe. It's doing better because it has a like a deeper roots in the customer base and also the consumer mentality, also just the mentality about you know like you know circularity and all that. I think here it's much more advanced. I think the Chinese path it took a much more commercial path to serve the the resale market. Yeah. That's very interesting. Um, Bay, you were mentioning earlier how your banana top has influenced. Um, a designer collection and I'm really curious to hear both of your thoughts especially as fashion week isn't that far uh, from us if what do you think you know are some of the ways that new designers bring back old aesthetic or how do yet how do they conserve some you know specific craftsmanship I mean that's a really good question um, I mean you know, a designer once said to me, I mean, I, you know, not because they sought me out to ask, ask my advice, but because I was sort of sitting there, but they said, you know, what, what do you think I should do to lower my, you know, my impact on the environment in terms of what I produce? And I just, and I asked her how many collections she did a year, and she said that she did nine. And I said, well, you need to do less. And I, and so I think that maybe, I think what's, I think that there is a direction where maybe designers are, you know, um, maybe going back to the source of like using, um, I mean, you hear about people using um, P 
people who do knitwear, specialist knitwear in Scotland and going back to a more artisan way of doing things, a more sustainable way of doing things. And I think that's really, really great. And I think that to be a designer now, you know, if you were going to start designing clothes, you would have to be as sustainable as you can. And the other thing to remember is also that sustainability as a word, it's like nobody is sustainable. You know, you can't say I have a sustainable brand because it's by definition of producing anything that is not sustainable. So you, you, you know, you talk in terms of being responsible or more responsible. And I, so I think that, you know, I think those sorts of things are gonna come more clear of like how responsible is your brand? Because I just don't think that, I think it really is, you know, I think we're just at the start really of how serious a situation we're in. And I think that that is gonna be very, it's gonna have to be reflected in the clothes that we buy. And I didn't really answer the question either, but I did answer something. <laughs> I did say something that I wanted to say, so I'm sorry. I'm not sure I did answer any questions. <laughs> I think I think there's so many brands that are reflecting different eras of aesthetic. You have, you know, the early mid two thousands. You know, the the old Celine. There's so many brands doing that aesthetic, like the Rogue, Bottega, mm. or the Josander. It's all similar. And then you have lots of brands doing the noughties, like you know, like Charlotte Knows, even like Y Project, like Diesel. They're all that kind of vibe. I think. As a tr you know, fashion is a cycle. Every forty years, things will come back, and this season we see lots of eighties-inspired things. Like Vivian Westwood is actually having an absolute relevant moment right now, given how chaotic the world outside it is. And then you look at their stuff. You know, it's it's an aesthetic from the seventies and eighties, but now I feel like it's more relevant than all those pretty dresses or sexy dresses, because you know it does have a connection to the real world, and that message still stands itself. I think. And all the young brands, you know, they always go back to the history, like Charles Jeffrey with the club kit, you know, that's something from London back in the days. And there's lots of good reference design at the moment, because sometimes, you know, in order for you to move on to the future, you have to look back and see what the people, be you know, before you have done, so then you can improve on it. Because sometimes if your designer just say, oh, I, I'm here to create without looking back, sometimes you were just, you know, doing a, like a lamer job than one of the people that in bef before you. So, and and then I think new aesthetic is formed. So look, if you look at Charlotte Mills, you know, she does the kind of very sultry dresses and people like Julia Fox is wearing it, Kim Kardashian is wearing it. And it does give the aesthetic a continuation among the TikTok generation. They begin to see that, okay, actually, you know, people my age can wear this kind of stuff. It's not just what my mom used to wear back in the days. So I think, you know, for a trend in order to survive and move on, it's a necessary step and it's also a very healthy circle. I don't know how healthy trend circles are because it's just feeding the machine. I, I think that, you know, it's just relentless. Um, I'm ambivalent about trends personally, but that's me. Um, looking into the future, there's been obviously a big rise of new machines ownership model but also tech how do you think both of those will be impacting how we consume but most importantly how we connect because i do think the art of connecting if i may say is very linked to ownership it's almost like the pleasure of owning a piece and as we're moving towards the metaverse as we're moving towards more access of ownership how do you think you know what are your prediction I think that's a really interesting question, and I think until you're in it, it's very hard to know, because you're right, we're absolutely trained and sort of educated on things being owned, and that's the goal, and whether that's owning your own flat, 
or owning your own yacht or or owning you know whatever the kind of ownership and aspirations of what you can own to you is just that's what you know so i think that shift of a mindset is really interesting um personally i do like owning things um and but i love the idea of also not owning things but i definitely haven't jumped anywhere in that direction you on the other hand you know this is what you do so i think you should say what you think about it as well (laughs) yeah we'll come back to you i think i (laughs) i think you know i get i get so many email about this and that launching nfts or launching like digital projects these days my general feeling is that a clear model will appear as we go by because like 10 years ago what do we know about what's going to be what's instagram going to turn out to be but you know clearly it become a part of life now so definitely there's a community for it and definitely it's a business model to be carved out in the space and you know in terms of ownership i think we need to acknowledge the fact that we're all very privileged in a way that we can afford things and we can own things but if you look at all the 7 billion people on the earth you know i think it's it is more democratic if you can you know share the ownership in some way even if it's virtually to people like you know if you can you issue like an iconic piece in a not just nft but just like a replica online or something that can be distributed to to let people feel they're included in some way that would be a very interesting to do yeah okay cool um i think for me i was forced to move towards you know minimal ownership because i've spent the past 10 years living across six different countries moving out one or two suitcases and there was a hard role which is if it doesn't sit in the suitcase you just don't take it and I've just had to innovate in how I was consuming. So I was lending and borrowing a lot from friends. Um, and I think there's something really freeing about that experience. You know, you own less, you're much more mobile. You get to a point where, you know, you enjoy borrowing as much as owning. I feel genuinely, you know, I'm, I'm wearing a borrowed suit tonight. I love it. I think it's almost, you know, it belongs to one of our members. There is a pop singer. Like, I think I got a bit of her oomph, you know. <laughs> so like it's like a bit of you know good karma, um, and I think if we share more, ultimately there will be enough for everyone. Um, and you know, speaking about conservation, conservation ultimately is also about environment and conserving you know the resource that we have on Earth. Um, and so my two cents on this is you know let, let's all share more because I think we'll do better not only for the planet but also ourselves. We live minimalist life, you know, with maximal access. It's quite good no compromise um but yeah that that would be my point and i suppose to close because we're running a little bit over time um just to close on this a bit of a lighter question live or dead who you would read the closet of um well you go first That's a very hard question. I think I probably actually want the wardrobe of uh, Brian Boy, because he has so many Birkins. <laughs> and I, I know that because he has like a burglary, uh, like a burglar problem in his house, so he actually put all his valuable stuff in a safe. So I do want to see what's inside that safe one day, because that would be quite an experience. 
I'd probably rate a movie star from the 1930s or 40s, like Joan Crawford. See some of those silk dresses, Lano dresses, and the first dolls, and that kind of like insane glamour. Or maybe, you know, Deneuve from the 60s, Lisa Palmberg from the 70s. The list goes on, not that I start thinking about it. Don't really want any of them, but I'd love to have a look. I mean, I probably would want quite a lot, actually. Right, I think we can close on on that one um, and open to the audience. If you have any questions, please let us know. Um, we'll take just a few simply because Faye has has to run, um, and 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 we're we're quite over time. But if you have any question, please feel free to raise your hand or come forward. We've made it bored, everyone. Everyone's asleep. Everyone's like, I don't have any questions. Oh, look, we paid someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that going to be far enough? Hi. I have a question with regards to energy and the clothes, v vintage clothes or um, secondhand clothes. And when you said you got an oomph from that suit, for instance, because you feel the energy from the previous person had earned it. But there are some cultures that they strictly, I mean globally, that they strictly have a problem with the energy of the person who wore it before. How do you forego that in your business? We smudge the place three times a day. <laughs> 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 it's, it's actually true. I asked Ella earlier, I was like, can I burn Palacento? I know candles are not allowed in your club, but is that okay <laughs> if I'm going to burn some Palacento? Um, look, I think that that would be my first reaction. The second thing is care for us is super important. So um, when we get a piece in, it goes to soil quality control. If it needs to be repaired and it's repairable, we 100% do that. Everything is also refreshed and we make sure that before it goes to another person, uh, it is being cleaned. I think from um, physical standpoint, you know, more down to earth, is definitely get to you in a almost like a brand new condition. Um, for a more spiritually side of things, um, you know, I, I, I do love to burn some palisanto. I'm not sure you do the job. I think I'm gonna have to do my homework and see if, if that's acceptable. But, you know, we do take really good care and, and, and we make sure that things are re-merchandised from one person to another. Another question. I'm going to repeat the question um, to make sure that everyone heard this properly. So there is a split in society between the idea of wearing faux fur or wearing vintage fur that you've inherited. What do you think is the... Yeah, I mean, if it's vintage, wear it. That's what I think. And buy it from a charity shop if you want, you know. That's what personal... It exists, it exists. I, I wouldn't buy... I did buy... The last fur thing I bought was probably... 10 years ago, I wouldn't buy fur now at all. But I think that, and I wouldn't buy it from a person, I wouldn't buy it from a charity shop or a vintage shop, but I believe that if it exists, then, you know, it's fine. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it has a purpose to serve, and 
also, you know, it's a culture thing. If you go to Italy, those old ladies will still wear fur. I think it's just here in London, it becomes such a sensitive topic. But I feel like we do need to respect other culture because, you know, they mean something. Because if you go to, like, you know, Alaska, fur is a part of their, like, culture and everyday life. You can't just, you know, force someone to not do something just because of you think it's unethical. But that said, you know, like, less killing is less killing. So I think definitely, you know, rewearing the vintage, it's a very good way to carry on. Yeah. Do we have any more questions? Maybe a last one before we close out? Yes? It's, I think it has to be legislative, legislative, sorry, legislative. It has to come from the government because I think that people, we're, we're very much ingrained in getting new things and, you know, we're, we're very selfish as human beings and understandably, that is, that's how we have been, that is our culture, we live in a capitalist society, we need, you know, and, um, and I'm, <laughs> I speak with myself when I say that. So I think, I think the idea, and I, you have to go but I think that the idea that <laughs> people can go into Selfridges and buy 10 leather handbags will be insane in about in a few years the fact that people can buy whatever they want when they want will be seen as like oh my god because as or you could buy five iPhone chargers but the only way it's going to happen and I think that climate protesters and people who really uh, who I really admire like people who really do go out there and they really do protest because nothing is being done, very, very little is being done in any real terms, in any real sense. Um, you know, what they are wanting is actually governments and people, positions in power to do something, because we will not do it on our own. And so you ask me, how will that change? It won't change, oh, la, 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 I love secondhand, love a bit of vintage. You know, it's not going to happen fast enough. So it has to be, has to come from where it's implemented, and we have to... We don't have a choice in h in how much we buy new things, and I don't I don't know the details, but that's what I think in a general sense. Does that answer your question a bit? So it has to we have to be told. I think legislation is one thing. The second thing it's also about personal experience because you need to go through the the curve, you know, to be curious about everything, to to hit a point to realize that actually what I had it's enough for me. Because I think I've hit the point, like you know, like of doing COVID, I realized that the thing I have is enough for the rest of my life, and also the quality, and the design, it's better than the things I'm seeing now. Because I, I think you will come to a point where your aesthetic, and your value is formed on your, on your, on your, on your the way you dress, the thing you like, and then from that point on, I think you will automatically be more cautious about purchasing, and also be more mindful about spending. But the problem is. The problem is, is that, you know, you speak about it in terms of this thing. It's like, it's a choice. It's mellow. It's like, I don't really want that because I've got that. And actually, it's too slow. It's too, like, it's too up to people's opinion, how they're feeling. And I hear what you're saying totally, yeah. and I agree with you. But 
in order for things to change quickly enough, potentially, although that might be too late, who knows, I don't know. People say it's too late, I don't know. But in order for it to happen in a way it needs to happen, we need to be told what we need to do. And I think a good first step is to actually have the conversation. So thank you, everyone. Thank you, Bay. <laughs> thank you, Dainway. Um, please do stick around. Feel free to have a little browse, have a drink, have fun conversation. Um, that's what we're here for. <laughs>